The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. I'm Brent Peterson. Each week on the podcast, we visit a different foodie city and explore the cuisine that makes that place special, whether it be custard tarts in Lisbon, mango beer in Mumbai, or lizard curry in Guatemala. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Say that again, Sam. Pour into the mic, or at least close to it. Pour the glass. <laughs> the glass. That's probably a good start. Well done, Bart. Hey, I didn't spill it. Did that sound like at least mostly Shannon Blanc? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you have any familiarity oh, yeah, with that? That was pretty good, that right? That was good. You nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> some people can judge wines purely off the color, and some... <laughs> Well, you know, podcast. It's podcast. You got into this is an audio medium. Hey, everyone! Welcome to the winemakers on a gray, drizzly day in Sonoma, California. Blessed the, gray, drizzly day. Isn't it nice? You don't have to water your plants. I, I let the garden go all. I'm just letting it go all native right now. Yeah. I'm not trying to grow anything. Not obviously irrigating anything. Just let the, yeah, I'll just the weeds and the volunteers take over. Let the chickens in. I'm inspired, I'm in, was inspired by the uh, the Hansel show. The chickens I, out. I, I gotta get goats, pigs. <laughs> I, I mean, have you been have ducks. you been watching that feed since the show? Like, Absolutely. It, it's it's unbelievable what those that farm is doing. I, yeah. I'm just I just love it. It's a lot of farming, love and it. occasionally they make good wine. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Yeah, it's that's a way, right. It's a rough way to do it. Yeah. I mean, no, all the wines are good. It just occasionally that's what right. they're doing. Right. <laughs> All right, everyone. Brief introduction. I'm Brian Casey. To my left is Bart Hansen. Across the table is Mr. Sam Couturi and Hardy Wallace. And then a special cameo appearance today by Mr. Pablo Blanco. Pablo Otherwise Blanco. known as Paul White. He, wait, really? <laughs> I had no idea. He, he will be jumping on the microphone soon. And we got a... We got, Two lineups in front of us, so well, I, I, you know the focus is the future, but right. Um, but we hope. But we like an to, ode like to, to the beginning. The an ode to the beginning, and and also I just love the story behind the one bottle of Dirty and Ratty that I opened, uh, because because it involves me, obviously. <laughs> you were the connector. Um, but this is you know this is uh, 2019 Sonoma Valley Zinfandel uh, that was grown, also known as. Primitiva from Ross Gennard's, uh vineyard there in Kenwood. Um, and he was 2019, big vintage. He was long. He needed help. You could probably and make rosé that year and red wine that year. Probably could have. I waited until 2020 and put rosé in a can. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, but I guess an introduction is sort of kind of necessary. Well, I, so I, I, also, I, I wore a black to... shirt today so that there would only be like one tie-dye in the room. <laughs> oh. It's made out of hemp. It's made out of hemp, so I'm not like... We'll have to get, a, to get a shot of that. Yeah. All the color coming from that side of the table. It's also new, so it's like it's unstained, right? That's really the trick to the tie-dye is you can't tell when there's stains on it. You got it. Especially when you got little ones. They're yeah. like to right. puke. Totally. <laughs> and kids to blame the stains on. Uh, <laughs> in the room, Hardy Wallace 
Long time coming, by Long time. We've been trying to work on this one for a while. Uh, and we made it happen. And we made it happen. Made it happen. We were patient. And short notice, too. Yeah, exactly. Right. I, well, I think that was the key. It was no like, oh, let's yeah. plan something. It's like, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I mean, um, well, right. You know, free a free moment. The winery's not calling them. Things are probably relatively quiet up there. Um, and we know that you've been on vacation, so we know you're not that pressed on. <laughs> right. Oh, and everything sold out too, right? That's, which is a good feeling. That is Congratulations my on two that. favorite words. Yeah. Sold out, <laughs> and that's usually just referring to me. <laughs> I didn't sell out. I bought in. Right. Uh, that's right. <laughs> All right. I, you know what? I want to start with one thing. Is um, you started a, a blog in what year? 2006 maybe okay yeah so i i probably found out about it well it would it would it would have to be about whatever time i started on twitter because that's how i found out about it and 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 it was a read i mean it was like so enjoyable to read because it was so different (laughs) what possessed you to start a blog like you were you didn't grow up in wine sure didn't so Will you start with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I got bit by the wine bug kind of right after college and by right after college, like weeks after college. And that was in 96. And um, I didn't drink during college. Like I liked other substances um, that um, <laughs> just yes. Co- coffee. Yes. Right. Lots of coffee. And, but <laughs> Turkish yes. coffee. So, <laughs> so wine, beer, liquor wasn't part of my life. Right. And um, when I graduated college to make some money, I was going to travel for about six months through like Nepal, India, Thailand. Um, I needed to make some cash, so I bartended. And I couldn't make any drinks, so um, like I can work in a wine bar and I can open a bottle of wine and I can open like a beer. And um, and in that process, I started to fall in love with wine. And it became something that was more like a hobby for you know several years. And when I got back from uh, Asia, I was you know, trying to make it doing music for a couple of years and then fell into the tech business. Um, and Wait, was, what did you play? Yeah, what did what you were play? you playing? Yeah, so I was percussion for years. And my main instrument was tabla, uh, the drums from northern India. But I also played Middle Eastern percussion, like all sorts of frame drums. I studied at Ali Akbar College of Music here in San Rafael for a number of years every summer. Um, That was kind of my connection to a lot of the music out here and things was uh, time at Ali Akbar. And um, so, so that was you came out here well before wine. Oh came yeah, out to California oh yeah. I was, well I was out wine. here in the summers of uh, '93, '94, '95, okay. cool. and uh, part of the fall of '96. Um, but yeah, I'd sleep on the f- floor of a classroom in San Rafael, and um, yeah, it was a magical time. Yeah. And um, so, but trying to come out of that, come out of a travel. Um, and make it in, I was living in Tampa, Florida at the time, and make it playing, uh, you know, solo, ta- solo tabla concerts and frame drum concerts. Um, and actually, like, the, the cool thing it's was... It's hard to figure out what to do with all of your money. Exactly, when you're, exactly. Like, how many jets do you need? <laughs> so the cool... So maybe I'll start a winery. Exactly. So the, the cool thing was, I, I was getting, like, good gigs, like, once every month or two. Like, I opened up for Hornsby. Um, I opened up for uh, Tony Rice. opened up for Peter Rowan, uh, De La Soul, Steve Earle. Um, wow. And you'd right, get... Right, you'd right. Ca- yeah, yeah, exactly. So, 
Yeah. You'd get flown, and I'd get flown to you know open up for some of these folks. But you'd get like, hey, here's your ticket. Here's a couple hundred bucks. And then, like, you go back and, like, okay, now I'm still bartending. I'm still doing whatever to try to make it work during the day. Um, and it was actually kind of a cool, like, I know this all kind of fits together. Um, I would bill myself as Hardy Wallace and Friends, but it was usually just a solo show. Um, <laughs> and my, my kind of claim to fame was, like, I would play all these wild percussion instruments and... A lot of it was mixed with like spoken word and stuff, but like often in a bumblebee suit, a tiger suit. So it'd have all these like <laughs> costume changes. It was kind of like I really should have somehow connected earlier with like Gabby Lala, if you've ever seen like, because she was an Ali Akbar person too after I was. And you're like, fuck, like this was like, I was just ahead of my time. <laughs> but I was always like, I hate to say like in, in the term like people don't use anymore, but I was good with computers. And friends of mine had worked for. Uh, oh, actually, a huge technology distributor in uh, Florida. And we're like, hey, you can probably still do your music on the side and do X, Y, and, and you know, but actually, like, make a living, like that, you know, get comfortable. And I, you know, made bye, the- bye, Brian. <laughs> Brian's got to go be a real go go to his real job. <laughs> and I, I made the deal with the devil and um, couldn't get out. You know, it was one of those things you got sucked into. And, you know, I was still playing gigs here and there, but I was traveling a ton, and my shift became a little less on the kind of acoustic percussion to more electronic music. And still mostly percussive, you know, percussive, you know, based, but then some hip-hop, like creating, you know, beats and rhythms and doing some electronic music. And I also decided, like, kind of I started feeling guilty about, like, the music, so like it was, it was kind of like Kiss. Like I took the costumes off, and like as soon as you take the costumes off, it's like <laughs> the phone stops ringing. You're like you're no longer the guy in the bumblebee suit playing like tabla solos, like in a small amphitheater. You're like you're like wow, you're some kind of weird dude over there, and uh, it starts getting creepy. So with that, that's a lesson though. Yeah, keep the fuck keep suit. the the bumblebee suit on is not as creepy as you think yeah. it is. Just be yourself there's Keep it <laughs> um so wine was always starting to you know creep back up into my life because i was doing a lot of traveling for work tons of entertaining and i had a at times a pretty phenomenal expense account you know at times seemingly unlimited so you just start like i want to try this i want to try this and it started to like touch my soul in the same way that music did and it started to you know it scratches that itch it's just in slow motion and I mean, excuse my language. I'm no, no, this say, is fuck. A this lot. is this is not the Bedrock Podcast. You can drink <laughs> and you can swear. So it's, sorry, Chris. It started to really like get into my skin, and it was like, you know, you open a bottle that it's like going to your like you know, the best show you've ever seen in your life. You kind of go for that whole full ride experience of something like opening up and unfolding and like crescendoing and like it's empty and you just want to still be there in that space, and. I didn't know how to express those feelings. And for me, like I could read like wine trade or, you know, kind of wine media, you know, publications that are out there at the time, whether of, you know, magazines, critics or, you know, newsletters or things. And that's not how I experienced wine. For me, it was very much like, I mean, it, it replaced that it replaced the musical psychedelic experience with, with me with the Venice psychedelic experience. And it's like, how can you stick your nose into something and like, I mean, smell things that aren't there, see things that aren't there, borderline closed eye hallucinations of like, holy 
shit. Like, this is an incredible experience. And not all wines do that. It's just those special ones that you find that are like, again, going back to that thing of what draws you to that live music experience is what I was finding in wine. And then you add being a total goofball on top of it, and the writing starts to flow. And the writing was really weird, very much my personality, and it was very much like kind of that moment of like you discover who you really are. And I never thought I'd make wine, never thought this would be where I'd be. I just thought like wine was what made me happy, right. what brought me joy, and writing the blog is how I expressed myself at that time. Yeah. It, I, I mean, I don't think, I tried to look. It, it doesn't sound look like it's out there. You've, you've, you've it's buried been, it. It's been scrubbed. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's archived somewhere on a hard drive. Right. Yeah. But well, it, <laughs> for those who didn't run into it in those days... Talk about it a little bit. Like, what was the the Hardy Wallace wine blog? Because you were in Atlanta in that yeah, time? Yeah, I mean, that's where Paul and I met. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it was Dirty and Rowdy? Or, or, or Dirty, no. Dirty South Wine. Dirty, Dirty South, South Wine, wine. Yeah. that's right. Oh, so that's yeah. the, that's the, the origin of all of this. Yeah. Dirty, yeah. And wine was wine is meant to be crunk was the right. uh, yeah, tagline. Right. <laughs> and, and I did find that. Well, you know what? That's still attached with your Twitter account. Yeah. Still, And maybe even the IG or... But yeah, it's still yeah. my... Uh, it's still my IG handle for my personal is Dirty South Wine. But yeah, that's really, I mean, Paul, my connection back in probably, yeah, 06, maybe even before. Uh, it was, so my wife is from the Atlanta area, yeah. and um, I was out here in 04 and 06. When I did move to Atlanta area was in 2007. Okay. And pretty much immediately is when you came into my orbit because I was working with, some people that were starting a winery up in Dahlonega that is called Mataluce. And they were savvy of how to like market themselves. And there were a couple events that I met you at high museum stuff. Yep. And, um, but I, it was the beginning of like blogs, I suppose. And, you were like somebody that was cool in the area. Like the Venn diagram for you and me was like, it was crazy. It was like completely overlapping. I remember one time I started post. Showed up in the same steely shirt or something. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I started. It's pretty steely. Yeah. yeah no, <laughs> I was starting to get having fun with like Photoshop and stuff. And I lived up in like this really conservative place that had a college north georgia college or something like this and they had this tower and i remember i i sent it to you i took like the uh, one of the catman do monkey oh, temples yeah. and i put it on top of this thing in in georgia's like <laughs> but not just bible belt it was like the the buck the belt buckle of, yeah. <laughs> of it all and I really wanted to project an image onto the top of this thing yeah. and do like this. I'm seeing some through lines here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm still doing that kind of stuff yeah. still. But and, and it was like, but to be there and like have somebody that was essentially a comrade mm -hmm. that it knew where I was coming from was kind of fun. And but that um, that was, again, just the precursor before the economy just completely oh, tanked. Yeah. And so I found myself there in 
to about 2010 before I moved on. But um, you, though, grabbed the, the horns and came out here. And I was watching you out here. And I was in New York at the time. And I'm going, fuck, what am I doing in New York? <laughs> <laughs> I need to be back in California because get, that's where my back. people are. <laughs> exactly. Get back. And so yeah, that's where I am again. But um, it's kind of fun to kind of like sit at the table with you and hear your story because I never knew that uh, that other part of what you came from yeah to 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 it um but okay well tell so tell us about the block yeah so, you know what yeah. if you're Paul White in 2007 and you've just made this journey to Georgia from Glen Ellen uh and you come stumble across dirty south wine get crunk um <laughs> What what were you what were you writing about? What was was it like local stuff? Were you just gonna like wines from around the world? It, anything. It was. I mean, it started like it. It really chronicled a lot of like my wine journey at the time, and you know, I, I started like a lot of people, um, kind of really, you know, my early wine career or wine not career but uh, wine drinking was focused around a lot of um, kind of trophy wines and wines like, um, you know, more is better. And there's still ones like that that I, I absolutely love, but I started, like, I didn't really have a guide at that point. My guide were publications and prices and points and things like that. And you kind of hit that point of, like, I don't know, there's a, a sameness in a lot of these things. And there's, you know, I'm, like, shelling out dollars and I'm not getting a lot in return. Right. And, and what uh, you're getting is all kind of similar. And yeah, it's kind of that similar vibe. Right. You know, it's kind of all... You know, it's all sounds like it was made by the same studio or the same producer or the same the same seven consulting winemakers. <laughs> yeah, Oops. but but it, but yeah, but if you're you in didn't it, say consulting wine growers, it's all good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I started to get to be honest, I started to get bored, and this was probably right around 2004, and um, and it was also there was kind of an, also another kind of economic dip at the time where like my expense account started getting tighter, and in order to still entertain people. I had to kind of switch up my wine budget. Like it was no longer like, hey, you know, Harlan or X or this. It was like I have to drink Cru Beaujolais and Riesling and other things. And I started getting super turned on by those wines, and my clients didn't. So it kept the they, they switch they quickly switched to cocktails. Often when you're like, hey, we got this awesome like like crab dish and like it's gonna go killer with this fucking Riesling and like they're like, I'll have a Jack and Coke and you're like, perfect, <laughs> like, even better, like, <laughs> have two exactly. Like, um, so I started getting geeky and finding that more out of necessity. And it's almost like you know you find those like. I hate to say what we're considering the back in the day, like the off cuts where you're like, oh, I'm used to ribeyes and, you know, filet mignon, but now I got to get hanger. Now I've got to get, you know, spider steak. Now I've got to get, you know, kind of any weird cut that are also fucking mind blowing. Right. But you know where the, where the flavor is. Exactly. But you don't go there because that's not like, you know, the marquee, you know, the marquee cut. So that's where I think my real wine journey began. And that's where it's like, we're really, I think that part of like music and wine, kind of that itch like of being scratched really meant. And that's what I started to write about a lot. And fuck, like I, I would never like, I mean, part of why Dirty South Wine is down is like, it's it was really hard for me to go back and read. There was so much spirit in it. Sure. But boy, I, I could have used an editor or two. Or like you're like, wow, spell check never existed. Or like this or that. At least not. What were those like blog, those blog 
servers called in those. It was like oh pre. God. It was like pre blogosphere and and blogger and there was, there uh, was it was pretty rough technology wise. Oh, it was crazy. Like yeah. I can't even remember who I used anymore. Um, but Words, like even before WordPress. Yeah, way before yeah. WordPress. And um, so with that, you know, I think it was a lot of exploration. It was a lot of learning. Um, and it was kind of turning people on to things that they wouldn't normally have yeah. sought. And I think it also attracted a different audience to um, people that were more like myself, you know, kind of in that adventurous spot versus like, this magazine is not for me. This, you know, uh, newsletter is not for me. Right. Um, so I think it was kind of an early point as social media was like really coming on that like, hey, like wine still can be fucking cool. Right. Um, but social media as in it was just Twitter and oh, a little bit of Facebook. Yeah, Facebook had barely yeah. started coming on at that point. I mean, it was still, I think, I may have still been on MySpace for a bunch of it. Right. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. And like, I mean, Friendster before that and like Live Journal and all those weird things. But um, so with that, um, I was laid off at the end of 2008, beginning of 2009. And kind of when I got into my career in 96, 97, uh, I knew I was in the wrong thing. It, but it was like you kind of get stuck and you get into something. If you've ever been in that spot where you got into something for the complete wrong reason. And part of it was to try to like make other people happy. Um, like I need to do this to fulfill my destiny or my role of like, I got to become a business person or I got to be a successful this, you know, I can't just be this, you know, guy that studied Eastern philosophies, influence and Western creativity for like my college major, like, and, you know, plays Tobla in a bee suit. Like I have to, I got to be somebody right. like, and you thank get, God that can be somebody now. Right. <laughs> and you get stuck in that stuff and you get stuck and you get stuck in the misery of it. You get stuck in like, now I got a mortgage that I need to pay for. Now I've got this. And you're like, it was 12 years of hell. And wine was that kind of way out of it. And when I got laid off, it was like the best feeling of my life because I knew there was no turning back. You're like, wine makes me happy. And I don't know what I'll do in wine, but that's where I'm going. And a lot of great fortune then came my way due to a lot of which uh, came through the blog. But you know, the Murphy Good contest came that, you know, the first one back in 2009, um, you know, long story short, out of a couple thousand people, I was the person that they hired to bring out here. Uh, as soon as they brought me out, I immediately connected with a lot of my favorite personal winemakers, uh, guy Kevin Kelly, who used to have Selenia, was the winemaker for Lyoko, Pax, Duncan and Ada, Arnett Roberts, Ryan Glab, and a lot of people just started making those connections. And a lot of us lived... I mean, we're, I was living in Healdsburg. A lot of us lived like in the same neighborhood. So it was easy to make these connections. And they were the ones that were making the wines that touched my soul for domestic well, wines. And, and, and some of those people were also some of the forefront of um, canned wines, right? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, emerging varietals and uh, techniques. Sure. So, so you, you were definitely drawn to the people who you've become, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, and I, th I think there were huge inspirations and... Often they were very kind to me to give me not only um, you know knowledge and but also friendship, um, and yeah, I think those early days. I mean, my first stop when I landed in SFO was driving up to Healdsburg for my first day of work. My first stop was to Selenia to Kevin Kelly and to pick up cans of the NPA of you know the canteens, and yeah, and then when my contract was up with Jackson family. Uh, I immediately started working with Kevin, and 
I started uh, Dirty and Rowdy, my very first vintage. Um, my very first vintage working with Kevin, and that was 2010. And so, yeah, from 10 to now 2011 has been a quite a journey. Or 2011, 2021. Nobody knows what year it is anymore. I've, uh, <laughs> that has no, that library doesn't mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly in the last <laughs> couple of <laughs> So what, what was the first Dirty and Rowdy wine you made that first year? Yeah, it was, uh, 2010 Santa Barbara Highlands Mervedra. And um, so from a vineyard up at 3,200 feet down in far eastern Santa Barbara County, so closer to Bakersfield than to Santa Barbara. Um, And crazy vineyard, high elevation, very arid, um, not cool climate, um, but incredible diurnal swings due to the elevation. And fuck that wine. We opened one this summer. And I mean, it was pure caveman wine. It was like, I mean... I was making whole cluster partial carbonic Mervedra, you know. What, so yeah. was the initial, the initial thing was going to be just Mervedra, right? No. Or is that yeah, just no. what you started with? That's what I started with. The initial thing was going to be Muscat. Okay. Um, it was going to be dry, skin-fermented Muscat. But in 2010... Because it was like, that'd be harder to sell than Mervedra. <laughs> even. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but yeah, Mervedra became the thing because... It was what was available in 2010. It was connected to an incredible vineyard. Um, it was all that was left after both that kind of crazy, cool summer, um, and then those massive heat spikes. So as everyone's kind of freaking out, you know, kind of opening up canopies and doing whatever, that Labor Day heat spike fried up so much of the fruit with sunburn. Um, and then we had those early rains. Um, so like my plan A got screwed, my plan B got screwed, my plan C. Um, Mervedra was not even in the books, but it was when I was working with Kevin Kelly, Angela Osborne of A Tribute to Grace was the assistant winemaker, and she was getting Grenache from Santa Barbara Highlands, and she was like, there's only... Future podcast guest. She doesn't know yet, but she's... There's only two rows, like there's like these kind of scrappy rows of Mervedra back here, but she's like, they're kind of like virus, they're kind of like, don't really ripen all the way, and like, you might be able to get something off of these, and I'm like... Sounds perfect. And like then we can also share a truck. We can do whatever. And my thought was to like, what I was really super into at the time was Cru Beaujolais. And I'm like, hey, what if I kind of took this kind of La Pierre-esque, you know, like, uh, you know, technique or like Foyard or something like that and tried to make kind of this lighter aromatic style of Mourved. And everyone I talked to about it thought it was like the dumbest idea they'd ever heard. And like, it doesn't do that. And I'm like, well... Have you tried? And like, no, but it doesn't, like, you know, it's like kind of trying to get like a, you know, like the, you know, the huge like silverback gorilla to like ride the unicycle. It's not going to do what the chihuahua wants to do. Like they're, they're, these two things do not like, and I was dumb enough to try and it was fuck. I can remember when that fruit came in, when that fermentation started kicking, just how aromatic and how fresh that wine was, but still having those bass tones. Like it still had that anchor to like Merved. And what was great because Angela had her fermentation going, we had ours kind of watching those wines through fermentation, through elevage. You're kind of able to see like, wow, like this isn't just a technique thing. Like there is a similarity and her wines were made different, but you can feel that terroir come through. You're like if that's how it works here in this kind of remote place of Santa Barbara, how would it work somewhere else? And that's when I met Ann Kramer up at Shake Ridge Ranch, and she had some new fruit coming on. 
And she was like, hey, yeah, like you can take, you know, these two blocks of Merved here. And so that was kind of experiment, not experiment, because experiments, I feel like when you, when you knowingly know you don't know what you're doing, I just like, I didn't know I didn't know what I was doing. I just was doing and just doing. And so that was vineyard number two in 2011 of Merved. And once we had those two things kind of side by side and saw how Merved was really this terroir transmitter, even in this lighter style, and it's never, you know, it's a variety that's usually known for its varietiness of like the, the um, you know, versus like being like something like that would like refer to as like Pinot Noir is like, oh, it's so transparent to the soil. And fuck, it was like, I think we have a, like, I think we can do this. And we started finding all these incredible blocks of Merved that no one wanted on incredible soils that were completely diverse. In hindsight, were, I don't want to say dirt cheap, but it was like I was not paying anywhere close to Pinot Noir prices, organically farmed, dry farmed, this. And they're like, holy, like this is like we can run with this. And, and all that stuff was just going into big tanks together with whatever else with exactly. before that. It was hiding in something else. Yeah, and never um, got a chance. And that really, so starting in 12, I think we really, I think 12, we started making four Merveds. You know, we got up to making nine different vineyard designates, and it was, I loved it. You know, it was, um, to say that we were able to change the way people perceive a grape variety around the world is uh, on a complete, like, I, like, I think this could do like, like it was it was not a educated guest that took me to that place and now whether it's in Bandal whether it's in South Africa or Australia or whatnot you can go into cellars of people that we love and like there's bottles of Evangelo there you know there's bottles of you know DNR stuff that's like wow this actually is like maybe it did something right you know what that is I got no idea but <laughs> I, I mean if if nothing else it just brought Mavedra to the conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, even in places where they talked about it, it was the third letter of a, of a, you know, three letter <laughs> acronym or something. And, and just making it the star, putting the spotlight on it. Yeah. And, and these, these vineyards that, you know, in the end, you know, the nine vineyards, there was, there was, you know, Evangelo, Shake Ridge. It's, it's a, it's a list of vineyards that, you know, maybe at the time wasn't quite, didn't quite mean as much as it does now. And I think what we, I still always have to make sure is that, like, there were folks like Steve Edmonds, Randall Graham. Like, 1985, Steve bottled the first Merved on its own in California. Um, Randall, shortly after, I think he was either 86 or 87. And these folks were out there making these wines. Um, they were making them in a different style. Um, and so it was more of that traditional style, but still they were out there pioneering and saying like, Hey, you can put this on a bottle. And it was hard for a lot of them. Um, and it never became their main thing, but they were out there doing it and believing in it. So I feel like in some ways, like we, we stood on the shoulders of people that were doing things and still do, you know, 20, 25 years ago that happened to be crazy enough to, Hey, I think we can do this. Thank God or else we'd we'll all be making something else. Yeah. I'd be making press releases still. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's uh, take a second 
and and flash talk, forward and talk about what is now not in any of our glasses anymore. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> it, can, it can go back in. And and, and, and maybe, Brian left before he could take this bottle with him. Right. So <laughs> well played on our part. Yeah, exactly. Bye, Brian. <laughs> um, you know. Let's talk about the move forward to, to this. Yeah. Um, however you want to introduce it and, or explain it, and let's just go from there. Yeah. I, um, it's one of those things, and I, I really like feel like, I mean, Kate and I were talking about this, so my wife Kate's uh, my partner, and... Shout out, Kate. Yoo-hoo! And there is something like, when you've done something, and, you know, an 11-year run is... In the wine business, isn't a very long run, but for anything else, feels like a good, you know, good run, which was DNR. And when we wanted to transition to doing something entirely on our own, we knew we had to do something that was um, exactly what we wanted to do. Like, what have we learned in that period of time? What have we learned in the past 10, 11 years? Um, that if we could go back and start again, we'd start from there. And with first of all it's tough to replace a name like dirty and rowdy um on a drive to point reyes um which i barely remember kate had to kind of give me the the play by uh, play by play last night um we were just started talking about like where do you go from there um and it was something that's very much like outside and beyond and the word like extra dimensional came out and i wasn't even sure if it was a real word and i'm like is it a real word it is. Okay. And the crazy thing is... Not it, that it matters. It kind of like... So it was like extra-dimensional wine co. And it just kind of popped out. She's like, yeah, she's like, that's pretty good. We got home and looked it up. And the definition was like, outside the Einsteinian concept of time and space. And I'm like, oh, that's good. And like, I'm like, wow. Get Einsteinian like, in a definition. <laughs> like, we are there. And then I'm like, but it doesn't flow. Like, extra-dimensional wine co. And like, the, I was driving to the winery the next day. And I'm like... Like it needs like like rhythm. Like, and I'm, I'm very much as a percussionist, very much just have to have something that has that sort of flow. And it was like it needed, ex- it needed to be syn- syncopated. Exactly. Extra dimensional wine code. Yeah, like the yeah, like da 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 da. Like needed, it just it needed of, an upbeat. Exactly. Yeah. It needed that little bit of like it needed to like continue on. And um, you know, otherwise it's like row 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 your boat gently down the stream, merrily 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 merrily. Life is. Like, it needed the but a dream, like, to come out of it. And um, so the name popped out of Borderline Thin Air. And it really became like, hey, with DNR, we did such a really good job of getting focused on the vineyard designates, on the varietal-specific wines. And we were really known for primarily Mourvedre and Semillon. But for this, it's like my favorite things, going all the way back to, like, my first years working with Kevin Kelly, um, and even in kind of the lower end or the lower priced dirty and rowdy wines was the blending process. So most of those wines where there's blends of Mourvedre vineyards or in the familiar Blancs, blends of multiple varieties, like that was the time where it was like, that was the music I could play. The other part is like the, the vineyard itself, the farming doing them, you know, you're just trying not, you know, you're just, you're running the soundboard at that point. You're not, you know, you're not actually playing an instrument and that, you know, you're trying to get the fuck out of the way. Um, but in the blending process is where you kind of add a lot of your personalities and your thoughts and your, you know, personality, you know, your kind of soul in there. And it's like, that's what really kind of tickles me in winemaking. That's really what kind of gets me excited. And it's what we don't really focus on. And part of it was, you know, 
financial. Um, you could sell a vineyard designate for more than you could sell, you know, a blend at the time. And, you know, and I truly wanted to still showcase Morvet as a, this terroir-driven thing. Um, so we were still trying to accomplish that. But with extra dimension, I was like, you know what? I want the wines to be almost entirely blends. Like, just... And blends that are in that true extra-dimensional sense, like outside the known universe of wine. It's not just like, hey, we're going to blend, you know, make a GSM. We're going to make a, you know, you know, Bordeaux variety here, this meritage of X, Y, and Z. It's like, what would it be like if we take 54% Mourvedre, 34% Chenin Blanc, um, 10%, you know, skin-fermented Semillon, 3% Rosé, and just looked at all of the incredible, like, kind of, barrels that we have and the vineyard sources we have and we get to that point where it's not solely about showing something on one type of soil or one type of thing it gets kind of it's almost like that mainlining straight to like what do we really want when we open a bottle of wine and we open and we pour ourselves a glass it's like we want something to touch our soul and it almost doesn't matter so much if it's one thing or one place it needs to be from all quality places and all quality things but it's that intention that it's like it goes to the heart first and the place is, you know, those places support it. So, though, I think that everyone gets some of the, the love language glowing red. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's delicious. It really is. Yeah. It's absolutely delicious. I mean, it, it is um, everything that I've always loved about your wines uh, without what it is and where it's from getting in the way of that. Um, yeah, you know, it's got the the freshness and the fruit and the zippiness in it, and also almost because you're allowing it to be a blend, any of the you know imperfections can be resolved a little bit. Uh, and not that there's anything wrong with the imperfections; we love the imperfections of single vineyard wines and wines made you know with minimal intervention. But um, this is sort of like the distillation of pure hearty winemaking. <laughs> Uh, it's not a distillation yet. Maybe that's yeah, you know you're somewhere down the line. Yeah. So so let me ask you this: When you started the blend for this wine, yeah, how is it different than when it started? Sure. So 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 when you started that first baseline, what was it more like, or what what is it? How is it different than this? Yeah. So I mean, for us, um, we had barrels that we purchased from Dirty and Rowdy. Um, so with closing DNR, uh, Kate and I bought the bulk inventory. We had held off barrels from 19 and 20 that were going, we had Dirty and Rowdy, a side project that was under the Dirty and Rowdy umbrella called Clothing Optional. But we had also, this is some great label. Uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, we we got to talk label art in a little while, in a minute, and maybe forgot about the clothing optional. And, um, <laughs> maybe we'll talk about that one. Yes, that actually has a good, uh, that's a very good, very seldom talked about, like, story that came uh, how that came um and um but we were also thinking of starting another project that was going to be more kind of higher end longer elevage um more blends kind of like this and but it's kind of really just kind of a separate piece still under the dnr umbrella so i had earmarked those barrels over the last two vintages and as we decided that we were going to go separate ways those wines had not been bottled. They were sitting there in barrel. So I decided we'd purchase that inventory and we'd start the blending uh, trials with them this summer. And there was no intention to, with really any of this, except that I knew these were our best barrels. And, 
you know, some of them were 19s and had, you know, we usually wouldn't go like 20 X months in Elevage, you know, 22 months in Elevage for uh, the DNR wines. Um, and so they had longer barrel age. In that time, they changed their personalities a lot. And they, you know, they kind of get this more like finesse. Um, they start to taste, you know, I like the term, like they start to taste a little more fancy or like you know, more expensive. <laughs> they, they start to taste like money. <laughs> no, I'm but they, they start to, you know, they start to shift and they start to change. And to find like those spots of like what, like as you were saying, it's, to me, there's not so much imperfections that you kind of look out, but it's if you think about like if you're playing with Pro Tools, you're playing with some sort of recording software, and you're mixing one thing in and you know trying to create these you know these sounds that sound incredible together. If you start isolating that guitar, if you start isolating the keys or the drums, they're not going to sound like to make them sound good together. They're not going to sound like they're not going to sound like they'd be good solo. You know, it's, mm. they're, they're, you're going to make them, they're going to be a little tighter, a little bit brighter. They're going to fit into a nook and cranny that's kind of very different than kind of it's like, than like solo keys or solo guitar. So we start to find those, especially with stuff like the Primitivo, the Barberas, some of the more like leaner Morveds or like the Shannon, you know, after two years in barrel, what does that need to kind of to fill it out? And you start to look for like, what do we have that can make these like really complete like standalone things and that's when kind of the gloves come off the brain comes off like the music goes on and you lock yourself in the room for you know basically two weeks straight making hundreds of blends to create 12 different wines out of you know say 40 different barrels or however many uh 30 some odd different barrels and those are like the best and worst times of your life because it's like you have so much like you know at sometimes like so much self-loathing like fuck i can't do this stuff like it's like everything tastes, tastes like 74 more mavedras <laughs> and then like when you hit it you hit it and you're just like oh my god and like even the naming of this one like love language glowing red like i had no intention like this did not start off as like a morved uh, Chenin Blanc Bar Bar Barbera blend and it's I mean it's 34% white wine like it was just like what do we have and let's start playing around and it just became one of those things it's like oh my god like you stick your nose and it's almost reminiscent of like cool climate like cool vintage Oregon Pinot Noir you put it on your palate and it's like oh my you, you get that ripper of like Barbera the Chenin gives it a little bit of weight surprisingly um, you know compared to the Barbera and it starts to become this crazy creature that, like, I don't think a wine... Like, I've never smelled something that tasted like that before. So it was a lot of that to find kind of, like, what are, like, the highlights of um, these barrels that we've saved? Like, what are, what are the special characteristics and how do we support them? And how do we make something, again, going to that point of, like, touch the heart first and worry about what, what they're made of later? Well, and then, then on that note, so... This is a, a situation where a business a business changed the path of the wine that you had made, and and it sounds like now it's changing the path of your winemaking, right? I mean, or 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 are you going to? So I guess what I'm saying is, are you going to be looking at wines and holding some wines to stay in barrels longer, and or are you going to go back to you know quick to bottle? Yeah, no, uh, longer elevage will definitely be a part of the, part of it. absolutely, yeah. longer longer elevage for sure. 
Um, there will definitely be the wines that we celebrate their freshness, um, which, and by celebrate their freshness, they are delicious and they keep the machine moving forward yeah. um, on purely the cash flow piece. Sure. Um, but those wines too, that we celebrate their freshness and we love that piece. I mean, those are some of my favorite wines in the world. Yeah, it's awesome. And I mean, you know, you can go to, you know, France in, you know, February and buy like, you know, or beginning of March and buy like, hey, like. The new LaPierre was just bottled, and like it is available and delicious, and that wine's still going to last if it's a good vintage. It's still going to last fifteen plus twenty years, you know. So for me, um, bottling is not so much purely a sense of cash flow, though it does help with that early bottling. It is also like where you want to where do you want to stop that wine in time? You know, where do you want to? I want to slow it. I'm going to put it in carbonite, like at this point, Han Solo style, and like. And still alive, kind of twitching under there, but like he's moving pretty slow. The lights are beeping on the side. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, I guess what I'm getting caught up in is that is that the you found inspiration from a business transaction that you probably wouldn't have done, and 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 you're growing from it, and I yeah. I, I just think that's really cool. Yeah, so I think it was that, but it was also the third label that was um, so even starting to plan that out in late '18, um, the label we didn't launch was a huge part of the inspiration. Okay. So it was okay, continu- cool. it was continuing that path um, and kind of what I wanted to do there um, with something, you know, under a totally different name. Um, so t- Harvest 2021 was your first harvest. First official year, harvest yes. for Extra Dimensional Wine Co. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which does, it is fun to say. And it is more fun than just saying Extra Dimensional Wine Co. Um, Yakko, though, maybe. Okay. Yeah, um, <laughs> as, you know, with DNR, you source fruit from all over the state, you know, all these great vineyards. Obviously, Mavedra was the focus, but not, not entirely, especially towards the end. You were making lots of different wines from lots of different places. Yep. How did, you know, what shifted as far as the grapes that you sourced in 2021? Some of those same vineyards in that roster, different varieties, the same varieties. How does how does you know the fruit you brought in? How is that different from you know 2020, yeah. 2019, so we, maybe 2020 probably. Ross Canard Farm. Well, no, Ross Canard, no, 2019. So yeah. so let's just shift from you know 19 to 2020 doesn't count yeah. um, for so many reasons. Yeah. But you know 18, 19. The vineyards that you were, you know, because I know you were one of those guys who was putting a lot of miles on your yeah. car. Um, you know, I, I'd say, it, you know, it was my summer vacation, your harvest. Um, <laughs> but, you know, July, August, September, yeah. um, you're all over the state. How does, and I I believe that, you know, part of it in my mind when, when the transition happened from Dirty and Rowdy to Extra Dimensional that, you know, you have, you have two kids at home maybe trying to spend a little less time on the road and a little more time local was part of the motivation. Obviously, I, you know, that was just pure conjecture, but is that part of it? What is, you know, what does the, the harvest look like for you this year as opposed to in previous years? Yeah, so we kept almost all of the vineyards. Um, the only one that we transitioned out of was Enns Vineyard, and that was a lot of people were um, – involuntarily transitioned yeah. out of there's, there's a podcast there somewhere yeah, there the sure right is people. there sure is um <laughs> probably when some you know ndas and statutes of <laughs> yeah, limitations right, right, right? um but you know so we um we did not continue with ends and um that was really the only vineyard that we lost um from the dnr dnr world um but 
we would have been more or less happy to continue as is with kind of the vineyard stable that we had uh, from DNR and just kind of using those varieties and those soils and kind of different you know, in different blends and in different ways. But one of the things we all saw very early on in 2021 was like, um, no one's going to have enough fruit. Right, there was a whole lot less of it out there. Yeah, and when you're about to start a new project and you're relying on a certain amount of tonnage to for a certain amount of income and certain amount of bottles, you're like, oh, like we need to start looking around. So we added a lot of different stuff in 2021. Um, we brought back Chardonnay. Um, and we were, I had made Chardonnay in 13 and 14 and um, always used some in like the Familiar Blanc blends for DNR. But we were like, we picked up two Chardonnay vineyards and I'm psyched. Um, love those wines. We made Pinot Noir. Um, and the Pinot is like, and not just Pinot Noir, we made Napa Pinot Noir, which is like, oh, like you want to get dirty. Like. You did sell out. <laughs> yeah. No, but this is like, this This is a, this is either your like dream or your nightmare. <laughs> it was like, it was a like 40 plus year old Pinot up in uh, Wild Horse Valley that had been, uh, that had been un, really unfarmed for a few years because there's, you know, other things that might be more interesting to grow out there. Um, and um, the vines were incredible. And this was a John Lockwood connection. John had found the vineyard and brought in um, uh, someone to help farm it and bring it back on. And John and Johnny. And I actually talked to him on the drive over here. Well, he just posted that picture of the... I had to talk to him about the melting bins. Melting bins, okay. Yeah. It's Enfield Wine Company yeah, if you're out there looking for what the heck we're talking about. No, but John... Fire um, season is always, apparently. No, but John was just an incredible guy. And one of those folks that I feel like can find um, diamonds in the rough and can really um, kind of say like, hey, like this may not be in the best shape today, but we can probably get it there. And this fruit from this Pinot Vineyard, holy crap. It's like, it's, uh, he described it, we were talking about it earlier tonight. It's, it's like, just like, he's like, it's bloody burgundy. It's like that, like almost hot vintage, but like wild and feral, like early Lafarge bottlings of just like, and something like that, it is so like, you smell it. It's like the, it is not quite what most people think of like as kind of like coastal or, you know, California Pinot. Oh, it's like the type that like, I love like 70s Chalone wines, like 70s, early 80s Chalone. When you're like super hot climate, like super incredible soil, like Pinot. And it just, it reminds me of that kind of part. And again, going to your like, if it's supposed to touch your heart and soul first, you're like, man, like it's, it's almost, it doesn't matter what the variety is. It's like how it expresses itself. So Pinot um, made uh, two Merlots, Cab Sauve, Cab Franc, um, two Primitivos, um, <laughs> so two Zinfandels. Um, wow. And yeah, so we added a lot of different things. And whether those wines, the reality is for probably very few of those wines will stand on their own. Um, we continue um, to for extra dimensional to bottle Evangelo on its own and um, also the Brousseau Chenin Blanc. Because I think those wines are so distinctive that um, we could not add anything into those that would make them more interesting or better. Like that, you're like they are complete on their own, uh, t- in my my opinion. Um, so we have a ton of ingredients, some of which will go extended, uh, you know, will go over vintaged, some of which will go earlier. But um, oh, made I think three different rosés. Um, so it's like 
I mean, you look. <laughs> it's almost like a winemaker's nightmare because I've got two barrels of this, one barrel of this, three barrels of this, and it's just like there's barely enough for a single wine anyhow, and it's just beautiful and just. Bring me back on in like late January when I'm blending, and I'll tell you. It, ask me if I think that's beautiful again. Right. I'll be like, "Fuck no!" Like, I'm in hell. Like, but it, yeah. So it was really fun, and it was the perfect year, you know, like the perfect type of vintage to begin again, because it did like completely free free us from, you know, a lot of kind of what we were known for before, which so much of it was that vineyard designate Morved, and I have I think this year we have four Morveds. Um, but again, maybe only one of them will be bottled out. I mean, I was actually going to say that it seems like in 2010 was the perfect vintage to end up with that Mavedra in the way that you did, you know, the weirdness of the 2010 vintage. And it seems like 2021 was a great vintage to like have to go out and find a bunch of disparate parts that you get to re, you know, reimagine in this, in this new brand. And there's Bordeaux varieties. Insane. Yeah. And it's, they're all Santa Cruz. Especially in 2020. I mean, especially in 2021. The little BB berries. Tiny berries. And it's like, the stuff we have is just like, and and, uh, the sad part is a lot of it's just like two barrels of this, two barrels of this, two barrels of that. And it's like super low pH, super incredible intensity and flavors, ripping acid, like moderate, like for me, borderline high alcohols, like everything's like 13 and a half or 13, six. I know, seriously, I'm pushing (laughs) But like, I mean, very rarely like with our, with DNR did we ever hit the 13s. And like to have these such full throttle, intense, beautiful wines at kind of like refreshing levels of acidity. And it, it kind of, I don't know what those wines tasted like, like in 19, like late 1970s or early 1980s, but you're like, wow, like, like these are like lasers and razors, but still with that kind of like, with that plushness around from like having like a lot of intensity in those little berries. Um, yeah, sounds like fun. Right, should, should we talk labels a little bit or we got Let's something? Let's talk labels and, and who are you doing corks with? So we, um, those are still of uh, inventions. Okay. Um, but so we switched with, um, for years with uh, DNR, we had really kind of pioneered the use of the, um, of the select bios. Correct. So the sugarcane based um, breathable corks. Right. And I love those corks still. But the problem with those is it's really recycling and they are recyclable. But as in the last few years with kind of, you know, China would take so much of the U.S.'s recycling, not a lot of whether it's bioplastics or whether it's plastics um, aren't quite getting recycled the same way. Like you throw a lot of stuff right. in your recycling bin and then it's never right. going to find the recycler. Getting, right. getting burned. So right. so let's talk about this. So this bit. is made by them as well, but this is 100% cork. Oh, same so, company. Then. Yep. So this is also of inventions, but this is their Subar, uh, S-U-B-R cork okay so it's basically similar to as being an an amalgamated cork like a dm but the binder is called and this is where i actually need like someone else like i need uh, someone else to like talk the tech part that's right no one's gonna fact but through but through a process called like superization and so it's more or less extracting a binder from cork that acts as the glue itself so you're not using whether polyurethane glue you're not using beeswax um and that was my thing with um, some of the amalgamated corks. So many of them are bound by polyurethane. And I was like, I don't really want that in contact with my, my wine. Right. And on some of the ones with the beeswax binder was that sometimes there was a flavor being associated with that binder. And so this being a 100% cork, I was like, that's 
Yeah. Um, it, it, it feels, you know, I have one of each, and yeah. it actually feels a lot like cork. Yeah. As it's, opposed it's, to this, definitely. It's priced a lot like cork, too. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, hey, for that's better like. Better or for worse? Yeah. yeah. But it was, and for me, it's always been, like, like even with the. Uh, the select bios, the sugarcane-based ones. I mean, we were putting those in fifty-dollar bottles. Um, it was never about feel; it was about putting the best thing we could into a bottle that would preserve that in a way that, especially if you're only making sometimes you know fifty cases of something, um, it's hard to replace that when someone's got a corked bottle. Um, and for us, the really the only part was just the really the recycling piece. Just and it's not that they weren't recyclable; it's just that. Um, yeah, like all plastics right now, it's um, not much is finding its way to. Uh, there's way too much of it. Yeah. At, at the height of DNR's production levels, where were you annual cases? We were about 6,200, 6,500. Okay. And, and was that majority of that in distribution? How, yeah. For, for when we reached that point, um, you know, we were. DNR would range any year between, uh, you know, early on, you know, 90% uh, DTC. Um, as we grew to kind of above the 4,000 case range, we're kind of in that 4550. But really, one or two wines, it was a couple thousand cases of Familiar Blanc and Familiar Merved. That would all go mostly to wholesale and like BTG programs. And that was kind of the calling card to the vineyard designate wines. Um, and then after 17, which that was the really big vintage for us and also a disastrous vintage for us, we dropped things back down to like the 4,200, 4,500 case range. And then we were kind of in that 68 to 70 X percent DTC. Um, so it was still a lot of DTC um, and a lot less travel, which was great. Because once you reach that 6,000 case mark, and I mean, I started getting back on the road 100 and X days a year to sell wine that you're basically losing money on, you know, as soon as you book a plane ticket or, you know, you know, the margins are eaten up by rental cars, hotels and airplanes. Yeah. Tickets. I mean, you're, you know, if, if you're doing stuff that's like BTG based, like you're just like, it's almost like, do we actually, we may be better off financially not making this. Um, and it just, it doesn't make sense on that size. And especially when you're at that time, primarily a one person operation, um, you know, my business partner was, you know, has another career and was not involved in the day-to-day -day business. My wife wasn't working for DNR yet. So kind of doing one person, all sales, marketing, vineyard work, production. Well, and, and that's that's large enough that it's it gets complicated. Oh, yeah. Um, Inexpensive. You know, yeah. Right. But not large enough to be that complicated to actually make it worth it, right? Is that uh, yeah. like you're in that sort of purgatory kind of, you know, it's not enough to actually make these yeah, margins but the, work. But, but the chairlifts aren't running yet. Yeah, exactly. Like, do that at 20,000 cases and you've got a team of 10 or right. 6 or whatever that might be, that might make sense. Right. You do it with a team of one, right. <laughs> you're kind of like, that really, and, and it's it's not the life I wanted to live. Yeah. Like that That's the life I ran away from, like in the tech world of like 200 nights, you know, on the road a year and that. And it's like, this isn't... And, you know, Maple was one at that time. We hadn't had Hervé yet. And you throw some kids in the mix, and that really changes the way you think about everything and who you are and why you're actually doing this. What do you want to leave, if anything, for them? Um, and for extra-dimensional, like, the, one of the first things was, like, we need to be smaller. Like, yeah, what's your goal? 
case so wise about 2500 cases right yeah. so maybe you know we've made the equivalent of about like 2200 cases in 2021 and kind of for us it's kind of in that spot of like hey if we can keep it you know close to 100 percent dtc like that 2500 3000 case mark is like is happy like it's like we can live like a life of like being home and just enough work that you're still busting your ass all the time, but not enough that you're like, like, I can't, like, I can't manage the seller. I can't manage, you know, you know, the, the blending process or bottling this or any of that piece. So, you know, we'll still be, it'll take us a while to do that. Um, you know, it's, there's nothing that happens quite like that. You know, we can, we can do that with 800 cases. No problem. We're like, yeah, we sold that in 10 minutes. Woo. Um, but you do that with a couple thousand is, you know, it'll be some work. But it's you know, now at least it's two of us full time because Kate works full time for us, and um, I know you wanted to talk about the labels at some time, and that is like that is Kate. Like all anything that you see visually with extra dimensional, like I feel like I speak for her. But that is like she took the reins and all of that. So is there any the art the artist um, for DNR? It was always the same artist. The entire yeah, it was, time? it was always Rowdy's brother. Okay. Yep. So that was kind of an in house family thing. Okay. And it was incredible. I mean, yeah. it was, you know, distinctive. It fit who we are and who we were. Um, kind of a borderline iconic type thing. Like, you're like, you will totally, you will see that and you will never forget that. Right. Um, and if you see anything like it, you're like, oh, that was, that kind of ripped that off type right. thing. Right. Um, and we knew, like, those are some huge shoes to fill. And, Kate and I talked a lot about like what we wanted things to look like, what we wanted things to feel like, and um, there is a incredible. Like, you know a lot about rock poster art artists, <laughs> right. but from a newer generation, um, uh, an incredible guy named Brian Steely, and Brian's out of Atlanta as well. But Brian has been doing since the early two thousands like posters for widespread, for Fish, for My Morning Jacket, um, just for kind of a new era of like kind of psychedelic rock um, and has a very distinctive style. And Kate was like, we should reach out to this guy and see if he would like, I don't think he's ever done a wine label before. Let's reach out to Brian. And I'm like, wow, I wonder if he'd say yes. Like he's more into like concerts and some corporate stuff. And he responded back like personally, like within like an hour. And he's like, man, he's like, this sounds awesome. And it was, our labels before were free. So free was like, it was a very incredible thing. So like all of a sudden. It's the right price. So all of a sudden working with someone that is Sorry, a professional artist. of these things that you're like, holy crap, this is a different world. And Kate was like, she's like, just trust me. She's like, like we had a couple conversations. She's, she's like, I feel like he is very like in the vein of like that true, like extra dimensional, like, like. He is also outside the known universe and has created something that looks very much like. So when when you said wearing a steely at first, I thought you meant a Brian steely, right. not a steely. I was like, face. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, um, and maybe so, I, maybe I was. I just didn't yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. And um, so we started talking to him, and like he also set us like on the path like we never, I never would have thought about. Like he's like, you don't just need a label, you need a logo. And I'm like, I don't need a logo. He's like, no. He's like, I actually think like it's it's really going to help you to do that. You don't just need this. You need a style guide. You need like, what are your fonts? What are your colors? What are your this? And by doing all that work up front, it made web design, it made packaging, it made everything that we do, every mailer, every letter, every MailChimp thing that we send out, all of a sudden it looked, 
it, it helped create that separation between who we were and who we are. Yeah. And all that is just worth its weight in gold. And to be able to work with someone that just kind of like really gets like who gets it. Right. And like even like just joking about like music and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, like we can like we know each other's jokes in a way. Like, you know, you kind of like. So, or, so when do, do people see this? new label and go oh i know that artist a uh, number of people especially if you're uh, if you're if, you, if you're it, hip it, to it, music if if you especially if you're into fish um where the amount of posters that he's done whether from tahoe msg um you know all of these like especially like some pretty epic shows that he's done posters or artwork for um they look at that and say like oh i get like he did all the post posters for lock in the last couple of years and like you see those and you're like oh like so one of the things that we did was we, we made posters of his stuff, but like, like not just like, oh, like a poster, like, like really like high-end posters. And we did regular ones that are our exact replica of the labels and colors and things like that. But he threw out the idea of like, especially for like poster heads, like there's the, like the limited run of like a hundred with like the rainbow foil, the off color and this, that like you run to the, you know, the merch table with your, like your poster tube and like, then you got to dance with a poster your whole show. Right. Yeah. I don't know, those people, I never, I was, yeah. But he's like, <laughs> dude, he's like, he's like, he's like, you might have a couple folks that are like hip to this. And so we ran like this also limited run of posters that like those things are like all hand signed, hand numbered and just gone. And then there's actually another like unsold stash that we have not like it's just for like the personal ones of like there's the rainbow foil, then there's like the rainbow glitter. And like, oh like those are like property of Kate and I. Like when we ever get like a tasting space or whatever, the rainbow glitter goes on and it's like add a couple zeros and like, <laughs> exactly. like what is tuition for a year right. for well, which kids? college do you want to go to, Mabel? Exactly. <laughs> Of course, so, that's what my dad always used to say about his poster collection. He's like, those are going to pay for your college one. You'd have to actually have to sell them to, to make that happen. They don't do anything. I mean, you know. No, so the, the artwork was really, and it truly, like, to get someone that can really visually capture kind of the spirit of where you're going. And, and again, Rowdy's brother was incredible at doing that with DNR. And Brian Steely for the Extra Dimensional is just like, it's there. And we'll have some new labels next year, too, because we... Um, we didn't, we didn't intend to have multiple labels like we did with DNR, but um, I forgot once we started making uh, uh, the Burgundian varieties, we're like, ah, oh, shit, like we actually need a size bottle. We're like, oh, man, we got to like, there's another check coming. <laughs> like, <it's>, <laughs> but we look forward to those. Yeah. So should will you tell the, the clothing optional label story? Oh, yeah. Like, so clothing optional. It's, hey, yeah, talk about what the what the wine was. Yeah. And then can we taste the, and then we'll, oh, yeah. Yeah. Can we taste the Evangela. Oh, that's oh yeah, that's no, the premise. I didn't the, open the, the Evangela. I, I brought the Evangela, and I intend to put it back. <laughs> Hold on to that. So one. with um, clothing optional started in 2015. Um, with Kate and I, and we were you know, Kate still had another job, and we were starting you know we we're just starting to plan a family, and DNR was still in, in you know, up until the you know end times was really in like growth phase. So. It wasn't like, even though we were selling a ton of wine and a lot of it was DTC, um, may I grab a sponsor? Yeah, of course. Um, there w like, wasn't putting a ton of bread in our pockets um, or in our savings account. Right. Um, a lot of money was going through our pockets. Right. But, um, and so we thought about like, hey, like, let's kind of do the spinoff and like we can do a very small project that is, um, you know, 
totally different wines, but kind of explores a different space, kind of maybe different varieties as well. And more in the, like, as much as we've kind of filled and sat in that kind of, you know, natural wine space, it's, it's never been something I've really hung my hat on. Um, I always say it's like, the goal is like, as little sulfur as possible, as, but as much as it needs type thing. Like, I'm not like dogmatic in anything. Um, and with clothing option, I was like, you know, this is, it can be small enough that we can be not only dogmatic, but like we can push the envelope here. So, you know, total zero sulfur wines, but zero sulfur, not fresh wine, zero sulfur, extended elevage, extended bottle age. So, you know, things that like, you know, like we released our 2015 and I think we released it, we released it in 2019 um, after two years in barrel, two years in bottle and whatnot. But it came to me uh, like, like a kind of in the California dream type thing. I um, went down to do a retreat at Esalen right before the 50th anniversary dead shows. Like, so somehow like Kate was like, we were going to all, you know, all the shows and she's like, I think you just need like a little break, like a pre-show break. So I went down for this interpretive dance workshop, um, which was, I mean, big sir, interpretive dance, Esalen, like, I mean, why not? I mean, that sounds great. And, just say yeah. Yeah, just say yeah. And um, so I went down, and like the hot springs there are just like mind blowing. They sit right on the edge of the cliffs, like in Big Sur, but they're all clothing optional. And which clothing optional there basically means if you get in with clothes on, you feel weird. Um, and so, I mean, I, I grew up in New England. I've got this puritanical thing to me, and it's as hippy dippy as I can get. Sometimes you're like, but I like a bathing suit. I'm like, I don't need to show my nuts to everybody. And he, even though I'm just said I'm from New England with that right. accent, but so yeah, all of a works. sudden I'm like, there's something very like New Hampshire South, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Had this moment of freedom of like, drop the shorts, jump in. It's like shooting stars in the middle of the night and just kind of out there. And I'm like, like, and it just this thing of like being like free in this clothing optional moment and being on the edge of Monterey County where all of the wines that we made for clothing optional were from uh, Gabalon Mountains. So most on the Monterey side, but some on the end side as well. And it just, I was like, we're going to start this project and it's going to be all about like these kind of like, you know, unsulfured extended elevage wines. And if it's small enough that if we lose anything, it's not going to like kill us. Like it's just like two tons here or whatnot. And, you know, 15, we made our first barrel and again, released it about four years later, 16, 17, 18. And I think they're some of the most epic wines I've ever made. Um, they definitely, they, they drill down into like the, like into those off cut spaces of like, it's, um, what, what was the crazy like Phyllis album, Sea Stones or oh, what, oh, yeah. something, <laughs> yeah, something like you, you get into like that sort of territory and you're like, it's not for everybody, but some people will really like it. I listen to it once a year when it pops up on my re-listen. Is like this is the re the rehearsals of Sea Stones, and you listen to it for about twenty minutes, and then you go, all right, what, what was the '77 show exactly. like that year? <laughs> but there's like there, it felt something like that where at the same point, but like if you loved it, you loved it. And I still get messages from friends of just or people that love those wines, and just be like man, like. Are there any more of those like available? And we had a separate mailing list, a separate everything, and those are up until really the end of DNR, 100% DTC, and we let some go wholesale, kind of as we were needing to like relieve some inventory as we're closing down. And oh man, like those wines were uh, pretty special, and the label art was pretty uh, amazing so too. Zero sulfite. 
at, added, yeah. And, and did you have to have a sulfite warning on the label, or no? Did... We um, I I'm not sure if the labels are correct. Um, <laughs> the labels are not correct. <laughs> the uh, yeah, <laughs> not sure if the labels are correct on those wines, but um, yeah, there were ne never anything added. And the crazy thing is, what we wanted to do though with that is. The wines were almost all Muscat-based. Um, Muscat, for people in production, know it's like like high pH white wine, and, and for the most part, like we even though we were grown on limestone, like we were and we were picking a lot of the stuff at kind of moderate bricks, but at like we're not talking like three two p. We're not talking like what we'd consider like safer like low p like you know zones for like zero sulfur wines we're talking like kind of danger zone of like oh you're gonna go to zero sulfur and you're gonna keep it in barrel for two years and you're gonna be pretty lazy about topping it and you're gonna like and then you're gonna keep it in bottle for a couple years and you think that's gonna be stable and those wines have been like rock solid and it's just like i don't know if it's soil if it's you know just my expert hand at winemaking. <laughs> no, it, there's something there that has always been. And I, I think part of it is like I tried to force the wines into like somewhat of a reductive state. Um, and with Muscat, you can hide that pretty easy because it's so over-the-top aromatic that even with a little bit of reduction, you're kind of, you're still, it transcends that kind of, those kind of reductive notes. And yeah, those things have like lasted and will outlast, I think, a lot of the other wines I've ever made. I think it, it's a show talks about, you know, to me, what, what I hear in that is that the stability of wine and, uh, you know, in production, when we talk about pH and we talk about the things that we understand, um, that there's some, so much there going on that we don't understand. I mean, it's like with, with Musk, it's gotta be that just like incredibly phenolic characteristic that something in those polyphenols, these chemicals that we don't really know, what they're doing yeah. are helping that maintain its stability, right? And you taste the acidity on it, and you're like, wow, that wine's got incredible acidity. And you're like, that's got a TA of 3.2. Right. Like, it has no, barely any acid, super high pH. It's this Crazy. level of, like, laserness that's, you know, whether it's minerality, whether it's, you know, any part of the grape itself. And it, it kind of always brought me back, because I also worked for Kathy Corson for almost two years. And Kathy was, incre was incredible where... I mean, she's incredible all over, but, you know, she would always talk about, like, she's like, I never want to talk to anybody about, like, pH. She's like, you know, yes, I've got my degrees from Davis, and Kathy Corson, like, some pretty accomplished winemaker, but she's like, I'll go back and look at some of my longest-lived wines, and she's like, it, the, the numbers won't be what, what you're taught to, you know, tell. Like, some of them are super high pH, some are super low pH, and they're just kind of all over, and it's like, that's something that, like, doesn't really you know it kind of transcends uh it's, sense it's it's sometimes it's like va it's like you look at va numbers too much and then you can start you know it starts affecting how you how it tastes but if you taste it and don't know the the, the number. numbers yeah you know it doesn't it, it doesn't necessarily transcend each other yeah so i, I you know what hardy cheers to you oh dear. Uh, thank and, you and I, I say it because of um cheers. Uh, the, the ability or just the, the the amount of exploration and openness to trying new things is very inspiring so thank you i appreciate congratulations. it thank you oh, the openness and exploration to um to find uh, that primitivo is <laughs> hey to you that it's october drinking. you're probably done with everything why don't you 
Go check out my buddy's Primitivo. <laughs> it, it might be at 2.9. Speaking about pH, it's, it might and be at 2.9. 28 pH. bricks. <laughs> it's perfect for you. You'll love it. <laughs> Someone gave it up because it was too high acid for rose. It's like, that's your wine. <laughs> And by the way, it's grown in a swamp. Exactly. Oh my o- god. Own rooted, dry farmed, yes. and uh, no spray. No spray. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> but at that same point, like, yeah, this is. I don't know. If, I don't think this is fourteen percent. It was. Uh, I, lo- I looked actually because I I knew what you picked it at. Yeah. And it's thirteen uh, seven on the label. Yeah. yeah. So it's. But I think it's also finished pH again. Now I'm quoting numbers. Um, yeah. Like, Three three, like this may have got ten ppm just to go through the line because I was like, TAs through the roof, and but it still has that generosity in that fruit, yeah. and you know it's not a heavy wine or a sticky wine by any stretch, but it is uh, quite delicious. Yeah, I mean you know with the with this for us, our biggest problem is when you put it in the can, it has to be a TA has to be low enough to go into the can, and that's. Yeah. So it doesn't strip. The uh, can. So it doesn't strip the can, yeah. yeah. Um, and I have to s- actually send a sample to Ball Corp in Minneapolis or something. In fact, we probably need to do that, Paul. Um, and so that they will approve it to go into the can and yeah. guarantee the, the warranty or whatever. Um, and yeah, it's you know, it's not like we picked it at crazy low bricks no. for what we were making with it. It's just a, the vineyard site holds on to this acidity in this crazy way. Uh, I think even yeah. So we worked with it nineteen twenty twenty one. And yeah, it's just, you know, 21, I think just because of the year, like the wackiness of the growing season, still high, but moderate. Um, but 20 and 19 are face rippers. Like there actually might be, I have to look back at my notes. There might be like, I may have put like whatever was the, um, cause it's not vineyard designated, right? whatever was the uh, 9% or whatever I could have put in of, uh, to tap the acidity down just a little bit and still call it, um, After you uh, first took this fruit, I was with Ross, and he said, "Do you know Hardy?" I was like, "Yeah, (laughs) I know that guy." He goes, "You know, he's my favorite winemaker out of anybody that I've worked with." Thank you, and even including you. Sorry, but (laughs) I've known Ross way too long for to be his favorite anything. Oh man, no, it was it was a high honor. Ross, Ross doesn't. Speak highly of much. <laughs> the most cynical. <laughs> no, he's he was awesome and um, still is. And yeah, I just it's also like three miles from the winery, which is like, oh my god, this, this is perfect. Right. And we actually in nineteen and twenty, um, uh, Dana, who works as uh, one of the servers over at Valley, yeah. uh, was our intern. And I actually had Dana do a lot of like the canopy work and showed her what like kind of where we wanted our rows and. So, like, she has this, like, this just, like, love for this, like, spot that's just, like... Because, like, you, you, you start working your vines and, like, you know, they become part of you. Yeah. And um, so it was really cool to work both with Ross, but to also kind of get Dana involved in not just the fermentation side of it, but, like, the canopy work and things like that. And I just... And to have it so close, and it's got dinosaurs all around it. Like that's like kind of <laughs> literally <laughs> these dinosaur statues. Yeah, for those of you wondering at home what the hell we're talking about, the the we talked about a little bit when we had the cans of rosé, but this is uh, so Ross Kennard, who is my, literally my one of my oldest friends, um, 
has a little vineyard and it's behind if you drive through Kenwood ever Swedes feeds, Swedes feeds which oh, yeah. I, I mean at some point Swedes feeds yeah needs a yeah. needs a <laughs> Swedes code yeah, yeah. Uh, I think everything just needs yeah <laughs> exclamation point at the end of it now um and so yeah there's there's dinosaurs that's how you know like oh. if you've passed the dinosaurs you missed the turn exactly <laughs> yeah, a great spot for your um for your outdoor loving uh Yard art. That's right. <laughs> we keep Phil away from that story. <laughs> takes the, the long way through Kenwood so that he doesn't buy more shit there. Wow. Um, this has been awesome. Thank you. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, we're running up on an hour 20. That's good. I'm uh, dying. The acidity got me. <laughs> or the wrong pipe. It's like, as Maple likes to say, went down the wrong throat. And I'm like, wow, wrong throat, man. I'm That's, like, you would, you know, have to have extra dimensional children. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's, let's call a spade a spade here. So for you right now, um, you know, I imagine if the wines are safe uh, and in a good space, you probably just kind of stay out of there and leave them yeah. alone. I'm, I'm on the kind of the, I was in there on Monday, um, topping everything next week. Um, I haven't used any sulfur yet. Um, everything is done with ML. And now it's just kind of that idea of like, what can we push over the break? And if anything needs it. So just kind of checking VAs this week. Um, just tasting everything one last time. And I'm hoping to like just kind of um, forget about them more or less till like we come back in January. Yeah. Um, you going to Cape Cod? No, so we're um, sticking around, but coming kind of come back to uh, come back to working. I guess is uh -huh. the uh, we'll stick around here, which is good. But um, the winery more or less closes down. Like no one's in there on December seventh from December December seventeenth on. Um, but those are actually usually like my favorite times to kind of go in and sneak in. Right. But I'll start doing blending in kind of third week of January, and it's. It's always tough because it's like, okay, like if, especially like, do you want to blend things that are everything that has seen zero sulfur already? Or if it needs it, should it have a little beforehand just to kind of get you into that, like, this is what it actually tastes like? Um, so, yeah, it's kind of twiddling the thumbs right now to figure out, like, how I'm going to spend the next couple of weeks um, besides doing paperwork and writing bills. Because um, that's like, you're like, hey, like, let's get everything paid. Uh, yeah and so so with the extra dimensional with with the blends that you're doing you're going to blend the 2020 2021s mm -hmm. and try and have them in barrel together as long as as, as long, long as possible. Yeah, as long as possible and um that's the you know just to yeah to get them to be um to get them snuggled up and like get them to become get friends that, soon. get that integration Absolutely. exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah and i think you know, also it's, you know, kind of mapping out like some of the stuff of like what's going to be over vintage, what's not going to be over vintaged. Um, I've already got bottling dates and everything set up, which is great because right now and my, my right. glass. Yeah, and you have the glass. Yeah. Yeah. So it's everything. We've got all that stage just kind of finding what fits. But the other part, too, for us really is, I mean, we're still even though we have our vision and we have kind of the whole path of where we're going, it's it's now that point of like making it happen um, because it's so much to have it on paper and to have it in conversation. But really, truly the big thing for us with extra dimensional is to like, to create that personal experience for folks. Um, 
we don't have a standard club with extra-dimensional. We have a thing called Yak Camp, and it's a small, like we only let 118 people in this year, um, and it's much more like, with DNR over COVID, we did about 32 live events, um, like kind of live um, music and wine events via Zoom. Um, and that was a ton of work. It was a ton of fun. A ton of work also helped save us through that period of time. Um, but now as things hopefully are loosening up a bit, I'm doing a lot more in-person things with kind of our Yak Camp crew, like we're doing on Friday night. Um, um, part of the stuff that we did on, online was with some of the members of Lettuce last year. So Lettuce is playing at the Fillmore on Friday. So we've got a bunch of folks coming together, you know, from this group private dinner at the progress beforehand which is right next to the Fillmore. a couple of the guys from lettuce are eating with us then go to the show we've got an event coming up in january with some of the guys from hot buttered rum um and a blending seminar the next day it's a crazy camping trip in like march and kind of doing all these things that like as we get smaller we also kind of want to spend more time with our people and with our customers and to have that ability to like not just do it online, but do it face to face and to do the stuff that we love to do. That's not necessarily purely about wine. It's about, you know, music, you know, musical exploration and camping and foraging and campfires and like, you know, blasting off into the stratosphere in any way that you'd like. Um, so a lot of it's planning that and making that like go from dream to reality. Yeah. And that is like, Kate was joking the other day. She's like, She's like, this is kind of the time where we should be celebrating. She's like, and I feel like I'm working harder than I ever have. And I'm like, me too. She's like, maybe we should stop for a while. <laughs> Just like, take a couple of days off. <laughs> so that's why I'm here. So, so, you hang, so, so we're here. Uh, so let's, well, let's do the work part of it. Um, I know with this, with the Extra Dimensional Wine Co. Yeah, uh, releases, it's been something you got to like kind of be on it. Other if you snooze, you lose. So for those folks out there trying to get these wines, can you tell us when the next one's yeah. coming or what's coming up and like sure, how to make sure they get get on the list? Yeah, so the we, we make the URL super easy because extra dimensional can be tough to spell. So the URL is just wineco, yeah. If you type an extra dimensional wineco, yeah, it'll still get you there. But if you don't have to do that, you don't have to. If you uh, can't spell extra dimensional, <laughs> which is, you know, after hey, a couple glasses. It's, 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 you know, is it one word? Is it, is really it a even a word anyway? Yeah, spell check, we'll kick it back. Um, <laughs> So the next one will be um, probably right before bottling when we all need our cash. And so that'll be in March. Um, that one is super tiny. Um, that one, I think, all together is it'll be our smallest of the three releases that we have, uh, will have had of the kind of 19 and 20 wines. Um, it'll only be about 200 cases of four wines. Um, so if you sign up for the mailing list at, Extra Deme at Wine Co., yeah, um, you will get notified usually a couple weeks in advance. And we, we're good at keeping in touch with people and making sure that calendars are set and you get the, you know, you get the release moment. Um, you're, you're, you're notified of when that's coming. Because, yeah, the first release sold out in, sold out in about 90 minutes um, you know, from that. The second one was a little slower. That was, I think, four days. But we also had like 40% more wine. Um, and, and it was pretty much like it was not too long after the first one. If I no, it, 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 yeah, story. it was actually like most people got their wines like a week beforehand, but because of um, really the holiday shipping delays, like ideally we would have released it this week, right? But like 
Grosskopf, was, who we used together, um, was like, hey, like, it might take us like seven, eight days to pack up, and like FedEx might be taking like an additional six days to the East Coast. And at that point, like, people might be getting their wines like, you know, the 27th, 28th, um, you know, when you think of like holiday breaks and things. So, um, yeah, we made sure those were closer together than normal. Um, which was like, wow, that's a little aggressive, but we also want to make sure people get their wines. And so, yeah, that went, again, super fast, though, as well, faster than any DNR release in the last couple of years. So um, this next one we intend to go very quickly due to um, quantity because, like, one of them is this Muscat um, that's had some extended elevage that's similar to what we did at Clothing Optional, um, and that's um, 21 cases of that because I'm keeping some for myself, but it was one barrel. and um... there, there was 25 cases, <laughs> yeah. but I don't, we're only selling 21. I don't know what happened exactly. to the other four. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, but again, even with those small quantities, um, if, if, if you're on it when it happens, you get it. Um, it's just like if you, if you try to hit it the next day, um, your options may be limited. Clothing optional limited options also. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, and then, obviously, if, you, if you're not following uh, Dirty South Wine, uh, <laughs> Dirty South on Instagram, yes. I don't know, what, and, and you listen to a podcast, wine podcast, you're certainly, like, quite not, like, got your digital lines in order there. But um, just throw out the... Uh, you have all to the, see all the, the lens that Hardy presents everything through. <laughs> and then the, the, main, the main one The now, lens that matches what's in his brain already, I think, is what that does, right? So Dirty South Wine is the personal, and then I've been using the Wineco Yeah Instagram a lot right, more. Right, right. And that especially, that is the lens, um, both figuratively and reality. Um, um, a lot of... Um, a lot of psychedelic videos on that one. <laughs> That's when the 360 camera comes out yeah. and everything spins around. <laughs> Still trying to figure out how that works. Oh my god! You just have to be there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, I get really dizzy so filming those. Real one quick question. Sure. Get yourself a cast iron skillet. Uh, so how'd that come about? Yeah. So in the back of the DNR labels, and I bet of you know however many thousands and thousands and thousands of cases were released over you know the 11 years i bet less than 10 times has anyone ever said like turned around a bottle and actually saw what you just saw it says produced and bottled every bottle says produced and bottled by get yourself a cast iron skillet um that was really both a nod to Steve Edmonds uh, from Edmonds St. John. If you ever look at the yeah. back of every ESJ bottle, it's always like produced and bottled by, and like almost every vintage it changes up. And it's like perseverance and hard luck or like blind luck and enthusiasm or something like. And I was always just blown away by Steve because if you meet Steve, like he's such a reserved, like thoughtful, incredible guy. But yeah, it was almost like this little like Easter egg that was hidden in every one of his bottles. And I was just like, that's so brilliant. And for us, it from the beginning it's only just been get yourself we never changed it up but that whole idea of like this is a spot where we kind of can tell people who we are and this idea of like rowdy was super into cast iron skillets i am as well but through him and this idea that it's like this thing that is like borderline like ancient technology or borderline no technology but lasts forever gets better with time and it is something that is like passed down from like generation to generation that will, you know, your cast iron skillet will outlive any of your, like, you know, gazillion dollar copper pans or whatever. Because, like, it's, I, I mean, 
I use some from like Kate's great great grandparents. They're like 140, 150 years old. You're like, this is older than Evangelo. <laughs> like, and they're like, they're the best things to cook on. Like, we don't have a microwave. We like reheat everything on cast iron skillets. Like, and it was just that part to kind of put that little extra bit of like your heart and soul in there. And for us on the back of um, Extra Dimensional, it's actually produced and bottled by Starlaps. So Starlaps is actually the name of kind of the company. Um, and a Starlaps is, um, if you've ever seen a kind of a slow motion time-lapse picture of like the stars moving around, yeah. and it is this kind of incredible like wave of like the circular wave, that's called a Starlaps. And for us, it's like kind of like, I mean, that's the extra dimensional of the extra dimensional. Right. And um, we just kind of always wanted people to like, if you know what a Starlaps is, or if you look at one is like, you kind of get what we do a little bit more. And the Van Gogh starry night. Yeah, but it, but just that pure like kind of that curvature of just like, yeah. It, it, it sounds like you need like someone needs to be playing like some sort of drone instrument, like whether it's a didgeridoo throat singing of just like <laughs> the Mickey Beam. Yeah, exactly. Mm, like, yeah. <laughs> like that's where we're going with. This. I don't know what that sounds like, and but I know what it's doing to me. <laughs> I don't know what it sounds like. I know what it feels like. <laughs> And sometimes it's scary. Right. Sometimes it's not that comfortable. <laughs> that was a moment we needed a video podcast for sure. Oh uh, man, this has been a blast, guys. Yeah, so awesome. really appreciate Long it. Long time coming. We'll we'll, uh, we'll make it a regular thing now that you're, you're in the valley and with, with you know. So when you got uh, you know next next fall when you're, you know, you got all the wines to bed, we'll see you again. Yeah. Amazing. All Thank right. you all very very Love much. It. Thank you very much. Great. Uh, you guys, any shout outs? Uh, shout outs. Um, I had one that I was supposed to, and I can't remember. We have a we have a we have a thing coming up. We have a virtual yeah, vinyl Sunday. The nineteenth. Nineteenth, a little solstice party. Nice. Um, there was somebody that I was going to give a shout out to, and I can't remember. So, uh, oh, 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 I know. Um, I, a little self promotion moment. Um, no. my episode. I've I've done those before oh, yeah. occasionally. My episode of uh, a cork in the road with Kelly down in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, just just landed this week. Um, so go check that out. And she's got a bunch of great guests. And, and past seasons, uh, right here, our guest was she had Hardy before we got Hardy. Yeah. So so listen to Kelly. That's a good one. Uh, minimal intervention podcasting. That's where I'm, I'm pushing it. Pushing that that is what <laughs> we're doing. Thing. It's a thing. No editing. Right. right. No post production. Just post. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you guys. Thanks for listening. Um, thanks to all of our listeners. Uh, we'll take those reviews, those ratings, those yeah. whatever. Subscribe, review, Subscribe. five stars only. Follow, follow everybody on um, on all the social medias, and more than anything else, thank you guys for buying wine from all of our guests. Yeah, it really makes this thing all worthwhile. So, totally. Um, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Cool. Peace. Thanks, Hardy. <laughs>